Hello and welcome to the Medium Air Podcast. We are proudly approved by the FDA. Today we are talking about the adolescence of the son of Sam, serial killer, that's a tongue twister, uh, triggering his killing fever. This is your host, Hunter Rainville, and these are my co-hosts, Brewer. Yep. Wise. That's that's me. I'm, I'm Seth. Let's wrap this up. I've got chalupas in the oven. All right. Uh, Jalen Dorsey. Hey, what's good? You know, representing out here these streets. And finally, Natalie Rodriguez. Hello. Well, today we're going to be talking about David Berkowitz. And uh, just to start it off, you know, uh, David growing up uh, in an unsuitable environment, having a horrible state of mind during his childhood, uh, really causes future mental problems that led him down his hellish path. In David Berkowitz, in his own words, he talked about how at age five, his adoptive parents told him that his mother died giving birth to him. This was in fact not true, but the doctors told his adoptive parents that if they were to ever tell David that he was adopted, to tell him this. It swirled David into a pit of guilt for the rest of his life, thinking he killed his mom. At age five, that's a lot to put on a kid, don't you think? Yeah, um, I mean, just thinking, you know, from personal experience, you know, back when I was five, you know, back in the old days for electricity, um, you know, I went, you know, played with my friends and like went outside and like did stuff with, you know, my friends and like went and hung out with, you know, people and, you know, enjoyed life. That was before taxes. Um, so it, it's, it's hard to imagine what like that has to put on a kid you know, at that age, like that's got to, you know, mentally mess them up a little bit. And it's been proven that like people that have, you know, more traumatic childhoods or didn't live, uh, you know, the best of childhoods, um, they have more issues when they, when they get older, it, it, it messes them up mentally and it um, could really affect someone. So I, I definitely feel like that. That's a lot. Well, as a kid, he didn't know that, um, he had a mental illness and was affected by it. Um, when he was imprisoned, um, they diagnosed him with ADD, uh, attention deficit disorder. And when he was a kid, David was like always energetic, did poorly in school, always bouncing off the roll, the walls and, um, not listening to his parents. Um, at the time, ADD wasn't known as a disorder and seen as a normal behavior for kids. I mean, all the kids be bouncing off the walls these days. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, I I have ADD, and uh, I know how how that can be affected. And so it, it's it's kind of hard to you know imagine you know what what he went through having it but not being diagnosed. And growing up in like the Bronx, where like crime is like normal all the time, um, it didn't. I'm sure it didn't help his mental condition and only encouraged David to get further in trouble. According to DisasterCenter.com, from when David was 12 to when he was 18, there were over 5,300,000 crimes committed in New York City. And that's over 2,100 crimes committed a day. I'm sure a kid would easily succumb to this lifestyle. Yeah, I, I kind of have to agree to that. Uh, you know, as a kid, David really set fire to everything. Uh, he set fires to um, in houses, abandoned cars, and I mean, even just light brush on fire. Uh, in the end, when it, um, he, he pleaded guilty in court to over 1,500 fires around New York City. That's, that's ridiculous. That's kind of a sign, if you ask me. 
yeah, and especially you know growing up in you know environments like you see, you know TV shows like, um, for example, Beyond Scared Straight. They you know they take kids that you know have habits of stealing and drinking and doing drugs and you know car th- carjacking and you know breaking and entering and stuff like that. Um, they they're more the environments that they are traditionally in is lower income sketchier areas where crime is higher so i feel like where he grew up is also a big part of how he turned out as well let's talk about his mo which stands for modus operandi so first of all um they would like to strike out at women coward oddly enough all of his victims had long dark kind of flowy hair the very generic style of woman um so like if he was still killing to this day um well even back then like you know half the world falls into that category so um all these women would be fucked so he liked to kill in like a blitz attack kind of style which meant that he liked to kill kind of out of nowhere like he didn't necessarily plan out his attacks he just decided that he wanted to kill and he just went for it and uh, he killed all of his victims with a 44 caliber gun. And some people may ask why. And that's because of a failed attempt of murdering two girls with a knife during his early killing career. So that's mainly why he got that 44 caliber gun uh, or 44 caliber nickname. So although he liked to kill Blitz style, some of his killings were organized. You know, kudos to him. He would disguise his original intent by concealing a gun in like a paper bag and um, asking for directions. So, you know, if a guy comes up to you like on the street with his hand in a paper bag, shouldn't that be like red flag? Like, hey, maybe you shouldn't talk to the guy. Or maybe, um, hey, he's going to give me a sandwich to eat. <laughs> I, I trust um, that. That's the way hey, I would I'll, think about it. I'll take my chances for a ham and Swiss. Okay, well, I guess speaking in a woman's perspective, that would be shady to me. Well, you so, also have to take in, also have to take into effect that you know that was a different time back then. Not that was before two thousand and one, and the the events that happened there that things yeah, were a little different. The things were a little different, but you know, I red flags still should have gone up. Yeah, I mean, and if you take into account to, like, the other serial killers that were famous during that time, then you should be a little more, cautious, you know, cautious, cautious yes. about what you, who you talk to, especially if it's a stranger. So, yeah. you know, if you decide to do that, you're basically asking to be killed. Um, but, uh, you know, it's very obvious to see that even though he's all sweet and Christian and, you know, this little goody two-shoes old man, he used to be a dick. Oh, yeah. A um, killing dick. Seven. Yeah, he, uh, yeah, for, yeah, for sure. Um, big, big dick, big dick energy from um, from him. Look, high key energy. actually. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's let's move on from the little dick situation. Uh, <laughs> what do you have to say about his uh, signature? Um, well, you know, his signature was um, a very unique thing. He he was called the son of Sam, but um, his his original signature actually was not son of Sam. It was originally the forty four caliber killer. Um, that kind of ties back into what Natalie was saying um, about how his his victims, you know, were usually killed with forty four calibers because of his inability to knife properly. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so you know, hey, Ramsey would not be impressed. No, no, no bueno from Ramsey. Two star review. 
you know, and it was described, you know, the 44 caliber killer was uh, described by the um, Women's Health magazine. Um, and it said the 44 caliber killer was started because of his killings. Um, they were always with the 44 caliber, and they started on July 20, uh, 26th in 1976. His first two victims were two teenage girls, um, Jody Valenti and Donna Loria. Um, and they were sitting in one of their cars, and um, those were the first two victims he actually um, killed. He, his killings got, you know, more and more aggressive until, you know, eventually he was caught, and um, that was that was the end of it. He also had a, a signature that he would paint up on the walls. Um, it's hard to describe. It was an X with the, the male and the female symbol, and then it was also a cross with an Antichrist cross on it. Um, I don't really know the reasoning for that for that signature, but that was just kind of his his mark. Well, if um his type of symbolism, I guess you could say, for his killings wasn't bad enough, he dabbled in the satanic ritual um whenever he was younger so he recalls being under demonic possession during his killing he states in one of these articles that a possessed dog in the neighborhood won't let me killing until he gets his fill of blood so it almost seems like he doesn't want to take the blame for any of his um atrocious behaviors you know, he's always had a fascination of dark things and also claims to get messages from other entities telling him to continue killing. You know, he's he's kind of saying, you know, this is why I killed. Like, you know, to me, you know, there's there's not really an excuse to do what your supposed quote unquote demons um, tell you to do, David. Yeah, I, I definitely I definitely agree with that. Um guys not cool to be a serial killer don't no it's not at this point in his life things were forgetting things were beginning to uh fall apart you know he had just found out after all these years that his mother was actually alive you know uh, imagine going through your whole life thinking that you are the reason for your mother's death and that your dad despises you because you killed his or because you killed his wife um just to find out in the end that he isn't i mean you can't help but feel sorry for him um, but, you know, that still doesn't give anyone an excuse to do, uh, what he did, you know, but perhaps things could have been different. Yeah. And I feel like part of his issues also might have been tied to, um, the fact that he, he did LSD as well. Um, he would definitely, um, could have been affected by that as well. That might have been the start of things. I don't know for sure about any of that, but, um. Yeah, you know, LSD, like, yeah. fucks you up. Yeah, He's according really to. Shrees will start talking to you. Yeah, and according to uh, um, Angel Fire, um, it says here, um, he would later brag about being with Korean prostitutes, his um, excessive experimentation with LSD, marijuana, mescaline, and amphetamines. So I definitely feel like that is a, a major part of how how things ended up being for him. Yeah, and it later says here, um, but the truth seems to be that his main sexual activity throughout his entire life is masturbation. So I feel like that also added a lot of tension. Well, I mean, he also he would also see things that obviously weren't there, and and uh, have all these hallucinations, like you know yeah. about possessed dogs and stuff. So, yeah. yeah, LSD would definitely um play a big part in his uh, psychological sure. problems. And it, it's not like he did just LSD; he experimented with LSD and marijuana and mm-hmm. amphetamines and other substances. So he was he was. You know, mix it and match it here. This was like the jelly beans bag. You know, you kind of just keep throwing stuff in and see what happens, you know? I definitely don't want the black jelly bean. No. No one wants the black <laughs> jelly beans. Well, that's rude. But okay. <laughs> okay, no one likes licorice. 
So David's um, killings expand from 1974 to 1977 until he was apprehended in New York City. Um, so he pleaded guilty in 78 of eight separate shooting attacks in New York City and also the 1,500 fires set in New York City in the mid-70s. As he went into prison, he's now a changed man. David found God while he was incarcerated, and now he's like if you were talking to a sweet old man. Sweet, sweet little man. That likes to put lead between your eyeballs. It's an act. He now calls himself the Son of Hope instead of Son of Sam, and even published a book called Son of Hope, the prison journals of David Berkowitz. Uh, the book's about how God has changed David and makes him realize that he can be saved even though all the wrongdoings that he's done in his past. Um, he had a friend in prison that um, led him down this path, uh, talking to David and telling him that um, God forgives everyone and anyone. He heard what he was saying to him, but um, he didn't really believe God could save someone like him. And one night, he was in his cell... Uh, reading the story of King David in the Bible and he started to cry reading it in a cell and he felt compelled to get on his knees and pray for forgiveness. Now he attends um, daily um, church services in the prison and uh, some people like can say he's putting on a front or maybe he's like really changed. Yeah, it really all depends on how you look at it. Um, yeah. You know, everyone's going to see their own their own thing but so it and it's a possibility there's a lot of things we see that you know are totally faked and bs and it, it could be either or when i first saw him it reminded me just of my grandpa what if he plot, was your grandpa plot twist yeah david Berkowitz is your grandpa would be amazing and also kind of scary david he liked to reach out to victims families as previously previously stated Berkowitz is a born-again christian he describes that the pain he has caused the victim families. He's deeply sorry for what he's done. Um, he got in touch with Nisa Moskowitz, the mother of his last victim, and his last victim's name was Stacy. In his video series, um, in his own words, in part eight, he says he believes that he, um, it was a miracle of God and a dream come true that he was able to speak to her. He was just really shocked and really grateful that he was able to bring some sort of closure to her and her family. Yeah, he wanted to provide some sort of peace, help them heal as much as he can, even though, like, you're not gonna completely heal from someone killing your daughter. But as he reads Nisa's later letters, he expresses real emotions on how he has she has forgiven Berkowitz for his past actions, began a friendship, they talked on the phone. She describes him giving her daughters back as she had three daughters and all of them passed away, went to the, you know, point 44 guy she believed that they together will be able to heal others by showing that it's possible f to forgive people for their for past actions nope. i mean he planned to meet with her and yeah initially they were going to meet but then the, um the press wanted to get on into the interview and uh david didn't want the press to uh be in the room with them having a conversation about their own personal business and so he rejected the offer. <laughs> they were going to plan to meet again, but she 
um, sadly passed away before they can meet again. And that's understandable that he didn't want the press in there. I mean, that's that's a mm -hmm. that's a pretty sensitive thing. That's you know sometimes you want to be alone with a person to talk about something personal. Shows he really cared. Yeah. About what she has mm -hmm. to say. Well, I mean, like forgiveness, <clears throat> in a sense, is a good thing. Uh, but I guess you can't really, you can't really say, "Oh, I would totally forgive him," until you're in that person's shoes. Like, if it was one of, like, I've, let's say, for example, if it was your daughters. Um, I mean, I'm not forgiving him. You know, I mean, I'm like, good. I have no, daughters. That's, that's, <laughs> shut up. Um, but I guess you you just really have to be in like the victim's family's shoes to kind of be able to say if they could forgive him or not, because I don't think I'd be able to forgive him if it was my family. Well, uh, after hearing all that, you know, talking about David Berkeley, <laughs> his childhood has really kind of messed him up. Uh, you just kind of wonder, where is he now, now that he's reformed? Uh, when Berkowitz was sentenced to prison, he was sent to the Attica Correctional Facility, which is a maximum security state in New York. He's been there for 41 years and doesn't see any chance of getting out soon. I don't think he's ever going to get parole. Uh, Probably talked about earlier, mm -hmm. uh, he has taken pride in being a born-again Christian and spends most of his time in the prison chapel. Well, with his, um, what was it, the parole? I mean, most of his prison buddies always, like, tell him, like, yeah, go in for parole, go in for parole. And he would just be like, yeah, I don't think it'd be fair to the families for me to get parole and be out there and be free. Like, he'd like to go out there and spread the word of God. And also... Also, where would he go? He's been in prison for 41 years. You know, yeah, I mean, maybe he feels not... like prison is a safe haven. Like, he, he, I mean, he deserves, all he knows is prison. He, he feels like he deserves to be in there, so he's doesn't. <coughs> well, he definitely deserves it, but I mean, he's basically burned every bridge that he's ever had mm -hmm. or hoped to have. And no one's going to want to take in this ex serial killer to live with them. Doesn't matter how Christian he is. What if he was hot? The door's open. As long as he wears socks. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> All right, guys. Just gonna take back over here. We're coming up on our time, you know, to end this. I just want to say this. Uh, it is clear to see that David's psychological problem was not genetic. It was a matter of his environment growing up. Uh, later in life, you know, he realized when becoming that born again Christian, uh, he can be reborn and set free from his past. You know, he's, he's moving on. Mm -hmm. uh, with that you know I just want to say we hope you enjoyed this podcast stay medium stay rare catch you in the next episode of medium rare podcast bye